Hi, this is Dr. Darwin, the new dentist coach with another episode of Ask Dr. Darwin on the New Dentist Podcast Show. When you ask questions about pre-dental, getting into dental school, surviving dental school, applying to residency, and then also uh, surviving residency, and then life after dental school and residency as a new dentist. You ask those questions, you can send them to me right here. Where am I at? Right there. Boom. NewDentistCoach at gmail.com, NewDentistCoach at gmail.com, and we'll get those uh, questions answered for you. Today, today we're going to continue in our series on careers in dentistry, which is a fitting time. You have a lot of people who are applying to dental school, uh, and then also people that are getting ready to apply to specialty programs and doing a residency. Today, we're blessed to have with us straight from Houston, H-Town, uh, prosthodontist, Dr. Eva Boldrich is here. Hey, Doc, how you doing? Hey, good evening. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you again. Last time I saw you, we were in A-Town. We're in ATL, right? Yes, yes. Having a good time at the uh, Hidman Dental Meeting. So why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, my name is Dr. Eva Boldridge, um, also known as Dr. Eva Boldridge-Izu. Um, I'm a prosthodontist and a maxillofacial prosthodontist. Uh, I've been practicing in the Houston area since 2004. I uh, was a part-time dentist, um, full-time mother, and now I'm going back to full-time. So um, now I'm in a full-time practice um, in the Galleria area in Houston. So. Oh, the Galleria, that's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Favorite, my favorite, Post Oak Road, and the yep, I'm very close. <laughs> when I worked and lived in, uh, when I worked in Houston, uh, the office that I was working at, the Center for uh, Dental Cosmetic Center of Houston, we were on uh, Southwest Freeway, right there, down yep. the street from uh, the old Compact Center. So mm -hmm. in that area, right in that area. Okay, well, great, great. So why Pros? Why did you end up picking prosthodontics? Um, I would probably say one is I had a really great um, mentor, um, Dr. Nelson, who was my removable pros faculty in South Carolina. He was, um, Dr. Don Nelson was just a really great influence in my life um, in dentistry and then just as personal support when I was in dental school. Uh, and I think I really liked doing dentures. That was my biggest thing. I really was big on removable, which everyone hated. Um, and then I also loved fixed as well. I probably loved removable just a little bit more, um, but um, I loved removable and fixed and just the idea of recreating something that had been broken down was really fascinating to me. Right, right, okay. So that kind of spurred your, your interest. So. Tell us a little bit about um, your process. It, I mean, if, if you can remember any bit, a little bit about your process of applying to PROS programs, uh, in addition to that, did you, did you do it right out, right out of dental school? Did you work? Did you do a GPR or residency first before getting into PROS? Um, no, actually, I went straight in. So... Um, I went straight from dental school into PROS. I, I went to the PROS program at University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB. And um, I really, that was right when dental implants were starting to really explode in dentistry. And they weren't really teaching it in the undergrad curriculum. I graduated in 2000. So implants weren't really, wasn't in the curriculum completely yet. 
and I wanted to learn as much as possible about implant dentistry. And um, Dr. Leonard Munenhoff was um, a good friend of Dr. Nelson's, and he sent me in the direction of Alabama, and that's where I just fully engulfed myself in implant dentistry with fixed and removable. I wanted to do any all the crazy cases. Um, I wanted to just immerse myself, and I found that in Alabama, that was a really good place to do it. <laughs> right, right. How many people were in your program? Every year there was three residents. Um, so three years, so there was usually nine of us, a minimum. And um, I'm trying to think if there was ever four. No, I think there was only three a year, yeah. Mm -hmm. As part of your, um, if you remember your process of, of applying, do you remember having to like show any cases that maybe you did in dental school? Uh, did, did they have a, a case? Um, what do you call it? like a, a case study that they wanted you to kind of look at and review as part of your interviews? Was it like that at all or no? No, not back then. I don't know if they're doing that now, but back then, basically, you know, you did all the paperwork and if you got called in for your interview, I flew in, I, I interviewed at three um, schools mm -hmm. and um, they go that you meet them, you meet the residents, you usually interview with the residents um, usually you're interviewed by the chief resident as well, as well as faculty. And I really have to say for me, the recommendations of the faculty that you got was very important. Um, so yeah, I didn't have to present any cases or anything. Um, and it was a little bit different, whereas now it's probably a little bit more advanced, but for me, it was just like a regular interview process. And uh, you could ask questions. They may ask you about certain treatments and what your knowledge was, but I never had to show anything. So gotcha. that was way back in the day. <laughs> now, now you mentioned uh, another segment of prosthodontics, which is masculofacial prosthodontics. Now, did you do, was that part of your pros program at UAB? Was that a, a fellowship? Was that an add-on? How does that work? Yes, yeah, so after three years of PROS, you can interview, uh, interview or apply to maxillofacial PROS. And that's what brought me to Houston, actually, is I applied to MD Anderson Cancer Center in the head and neck department. And that's actually where I, there was, when I was, I applied to two programs and I um, came to Houston. That's where I ended up coming for many reasons. And uh, the faculty there basically immerses you in the medical aspect of maxillofacial prosthodontist. Um, you're so used to being a prosthodontist and doing the dental part, but you are literally thrown into the ER and you're dealing with uh, maxillectomies, mandibulectomies, reconstruction. Um, you're gonna have, I mean, I, one of my patients' mandible was on the table and we had to help um, reconstruct a wire so the plastic surgeon could reconstruct the mandible. I mean, there were times, I, they made fun of me because I made the record when I was pregnant with my, my first child. I had three emergency calls where I had to go into the ER in the middle of the night, I mean, into the emergency room to see an emergency patient. Um, I also had to go in at nine o'clock at night with my faculty because one of my patients, um, one of the patients for um, head and neck surgery was bleeding and they had to do emergency surgery nine o'clock at night. So 
being very pregnant, I waddled into the ER and we had to extract teeth before the patient had a partial tongue resection. Wow. Yeah, we, you go totally onto the medical aspect. It's kind of weird because you kind of have to throw your regular dentistry mind out the window uh, sometimes to accommodate the medical situation. Now, so if, if, that's, if that was an add-on, how long was that training? One year. One year. Okay, so mm -hmm. one year at, uh, at UT. Uh, no, well, at MD Anderson. I don't think they were together at that point. But oh, right. Yeah, so I did, um, I did my undergrad at uh, Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. Then I went to University of Alabama at Birmingham to do my pros residency. And then I went to Houston at uh, MD Anderson Cancer Center for my maxillofacial pros program. I gotcha. I gotcha. So as a maxillofacial prosthodontist, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your typical day like? Well, um, I, that's a very small part of my practice, but I do have a few patients who are maxillofacial uh, patients. So I have two patients right now who are maxillectomy patients. So they literally have one half of their maxilla missing and I have to work with their obturator and help maintain them so that they can speak, they can eat and everything. One patient just had her maxillectomy recently. The other patient is a long standing patient of mine um, who's been having some more challenges, but we still, you know, make sure his uh, obturator is doing fine and his hygiene and keeping everything, you know, stable. So, so what percentage of your practice is typical pros and what percentage is maxillofacial pros? I'd probably say one or 2% is maxillofacial. I mean, I will sometimes get a patient. Um, I had one patient who came in that was a mandibulectomy and I had to make a denture with like a bumper um, so that he could talk. He was from India. Um, you know, I get patients now and then. It's a little bit more hospital-based, uh, but if people know that I'm maxillofacial prost, they'll usually send the patients my way. Um, it also, um, it just kind of depends because, you know, I've got a big cancer center right, you know, right at the medical center. Sometimes patients um, go straight there. It just depends. Right, right. So do you, do you have hospital privileges over there? Do the patients, like, are you on call over there? Are you working with the school and the hospital with regards to that aspect or not, not anymore or not yet? Well, I used to be faculty at the uh, UT school, uh, dental school. I was in AGD GPR program. I was assistant part-time faculty there. And so I had, you know, a faculty position there. I want to say it was about four or five years ago. And I had to leave for, you know, personal reasons, you know, raising a family. Right. Uh, but I was about to start working there again, and then Harvey hit. So I hope to return uh, to work as faculty again, because I really loved uh, working at the dental school. So uh, if I do go back right now, it would be at the dental school, but I have great access to the um, maxillofacial prosthodontists at MD Anderson. They're wonderful. They're great to their alumni, and they always have an open door if I have to ask some questions. So um, I'm very grateful for that experience and having those contacts if I need help. Right. So as a prosthodontist slash maxillofacial uh, prosthodontist, what would you say is salary range? If you're not in faculty, if you're more in private practice, uh, and then maybe versus if you're if you were to be full-time 
uh, and and faculty practice. What, what what would you say the range is for salary uh, salary uh, wise is? I'm sorry. Well, for me, um, when I was faculty, um, I was I was only part time, so I was only doing like two days a week. I couldn't. I I tried to look it up, and I couldn't even remember what my salary was. It was really, um, you know. I think if you're going more towards faculty, you have to be more um, in the, in the, you know, in there more than, you know, two half days or one day a week. Um, so I really don't know about the faculty position, um, what the price range is or, you know, the fee schedule. Uh, for a regular prosthodontist, I did look this up. Uh, it can range from usually about 169 to around 250 is the going average for a pros salary. Um, you can go higher than that, you can go lower than that. Now, when I was part-time, you know, I wasn't working, you know, full-time. Right. So usually 150 to 250, depending on uh, your overhead. That is the biggest thing for prosthodontists, is your overhead. And I think that's why a lot of prosthodontists are going into the digital dentistry because we have a lot of lab fees. We have a lot of implant parts that we have to deal with. And that is the one kicker for prost. Um, so a lot of prosthodontists are kind of like problem fixers. So we kind of figure out ways to get things done. Um, and I think that's kind of just with your imagination, trying to be creative. Uh, I do like doing that and uh, Hopefully, you know, I'm starting to do digital dentistry a lot more. I have my own uh, 3D printer. I have my own intro scanner, and I'm trying to incorporate that with the 3D imaging for implant planning with the surgeons that I work with. So um, I'm starting to print my own diagnostic wax ups instead of sending them out. It's beautiful. Um, I am starting to print my own surgical guides, which is beautiful. Um, I really love the idea of digital dentistry. So, and the ACP is really working, you know, a lot with trying to make that, imp that digital dentistry work moving forward. Right. I was going to ask you about the workflows and digital dentistry because they're even starting to, of course, teach it more in schools. Some these depending on if it's a VA or hospital-based or uh, a school-based program and depends on you know what's available uh, mm -hmm. you, so you, you you definitely think that the digital dentistry part is not going away anytime no 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 it's it's here to stay um for the extra oral you know if you're um i don't you know i doubt endo right now i'm, I'm trying to think which one would, would not really be influenced as much but anything restorative-wise, ortho through the roof, you know, um, I think it's really just what we can limit ourselves and what we can do. Um, there's a lot more programs coming out. I would love to try some more of the programs, but you know, they, you know, they they can be quite pricey. So, <laughs> right, right. right. So, when, so when you when you go to some of the meetings, are you do you find yourself? Uh, on the uh, convention floors in that section of the convention where they have all the digital dentistry? <laughs> yeah, that was me at the Hinman. I was going, what is this? I mean, I didn't want to see toothbrushes. I was like, I don't want to see toothbrushes right now. I want to see the 3D printers. I want to see the moon ray. You know, I, I want to see the pros and cons. Um, and I tried to do as much research as possible before I did my purchasing. But I think sometimes you need to just do your leap of faith <laughs> and right. just get your hands wet and you can't really do it unless you invest 
And uh, the only downfall with the digital dentistry is that it keeps changing constantly. And you may say, well, I want to wait and see. You may just have to take the plunge sometimes. So I took my plunge at the beginning of this year and uh, I'm really only limited by the time I'm willing to dedicate to it and how much brain power um, that I really want to try to manipulate things and kind of learn. So it's kind of cool. It's like self-teaching. I right. like it. That's right. Mm -hmm. So you've been practicing for a while now mm -hmm. and uh, you're playing with some new things some, and you're bringing, incorporating some new things in your practice. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. Know, knowing where you are now and knowing what you know now, what would you do differently if you had to start back again in this pursuit of, of, of process? What, what things would you say you would do differently and, and why? I don't, mm, I don't know if I would do anything uh, differently. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if I would do anything differently. I think um, if, any, okay, I would have probably jumped on digital dentistry maybe two years earlier. Mm. Um, but there are people who are really good at pioneering and kind of starting the trend. And I'm one of those people that are right on their heels. You know, I'm not the first trendsetters, but right. I'm right behind them listening to see what's good and what's bad. <laughs> right. Um, I sometimes wonder if I should have been part of the group of prosthodontists that place implants, mm -hmm. but, um, I don't enjoy that part of um, implant dentistry. I enjoy working with the surgeon. I, I really enjoy creating and having input, being there for the surgery to see where everything goes. But I don't really like surgery as much, but I think things would have been differently if I did place implants. Mm -hmm. um, but now most PROS programs, they have the residents do it anyways. When I was there, you had the option to do it or not. And I got my referrals based on the fact that I didn't place them. So mm -hmm. surgeons knew I wasn't trying to do that. I got more referrals. So, and I think that's still the reason why I get referrals is because I'm not trying to tell the surgeons exactly what to do and I'm not stepping on their territory, but I do have input on where I want things to go and I'm able to defend why. Right. So, yeah, I kind of like, I kind of came up with that mentality when I was in Alabama because uh, I wanted to try to set up myself as what I would like to do in private practice when I was a resident. So that mentality went all the way back to my first year at Alabama. And I wanted to see if I went to this approach, which more surgeons work with me. And I felt that more surgeons were willing to work with me because I wanted to, I wanted my, I wanted to do my part and I wanted to work with them, but I, I didn't want to work and take their work from them. Right, more, more of a collaborative, problem-solving team approach. Exactly, that's always been my approach since I was in my residency. None of that has changed, and um, I really enjoy working with different surgeons. I learn at every surgery. Um, I go to most of my patients' surgery just because I want to stay abreast on what the surgeons are using, what complications can come up and how, if I see it at the time of surgery, I can already start planning to work around it. Right, 
Right. Yeah. I, I, I like that approach as well. When I was in the Air Force, uh, we actually had a, we call it implant uh, uh, conference or implant case conference where general dentist, periodontist, prosthodontist, uh, we would all meet on a monthly basis, all the cases for all the uh, airmen or Air Force personnel that were candidates for implants. And we would talk about all those uh, segments and uh, how we were going to work together and trying to get the final result. We started with the final result and then worked our way back. Exactly. That's kind of what I do always with my diagnostic wax ups. Um, I'm pretty militant about that. <laughs> um, but I like to see my end result. And um, sometimes, sometimes stuff happens. I mean, in pros, it's usually never 100% perfect. There's always some things that can throw things off and you've got to be able to work around it. And that's the thing I think I like about pros is that there's many ways to skin a cat. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So advice, advice you have for maybe some dental students that are thinking about pros, especially with the fact that a lot of GPs now are placing implants mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe pros is an area where people are considering, but, kind of on the fence because maybe they feel that they can get some training without having to do uh, a special, you know, become a specialist. What advice do you have for those people and for those that are considering it maybe from um, a different type of perspective? What, what advice would you have for them? Well, um, I tell patients, I mean, I tell people that implant dentistry is kind of hearsay. Um, and you've got to be knowledgeable about dental implants, period. If you're graduating now and you go into your residency or if you're leaving and you still don't know anything about like the abutments, the, um, the custom abutments, the healing abutments, if you don't know the parts and pieces, that's not good. You, you have to know this and you can't always rely on your surgeons to do it. Uh, that's one of the biggest things and the biggest complaints I hear from surgeons is that some doctors just don't want to do anything. You've got to be knowledgeable. If you're coming out of school now, you've got to know these things. Um, cross, I think, takes your mindset to a different level. Um, it's not just about remaking the smile. Occlusion is so important, even 20 times more important when you're considering dental implants. So you've got to make sure your occlusion is on point. Um, you've got to make sure that you're protecting what you put in there. And you've got to really teach your patients about maintenance. Um, so for me, PROS is more than just reconstruction. It's reconstruction considering long-term probability, um, trying to make sure your forces are equally balanced, and trying to get the patient to understand that just because you spent all this money doesn't mean it's going to stay like that for 20 years. <laughs> you have to do maintenance. It, you don't think you're going to just do this and never see me again. You will see me at least once a year. Even if you have teeth, you're going to still come see me once a year to make sure that what we did on you stays stable. Right. Because I don't do general dentistry. So after my patients are done, if they have teeth, they go back to their general dentist. And I only see them once a year for PROS recall. Okay. So um, I think to me, PROS takes it to that other level. Occlusion, so important. Distribution of forces. And reconstructing something that has been compromised. Um, I just feel like your PROS training just takes you to another level with that. Gotcha, gotcha. 
what what uh what projects are you currently working on? I know you have a unique uh business with working with a uh, a periodontist. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, well, uh yes. Uh so um I was uh working with Dr. Tamara Morris in Cyprus. Um so uh at the Pure Periodontics. Um I'm not there anymore though. I'm only in Galleria. Um but when we were there, it was really great because we had a prosthodontist and a periodontist in the same office. Um, so I, like I said, with the surgeons, I have a very intimate relationship talking, debating about the cases. It's really good because whenever you're working with someone else, you're learning. And if you're not learning, you need to check what you're thinking because dentistry always has surprises. I mean, and if you're not sharing ideas, bumping thoughts off of someone else, um, you're just not growing. And I think that was a really great uh, relationship, you know, that we had there. It was a little too much for me to travel and do all of that. So I had to, I had to stick in one location. Um, but it's a really great experience. And I think it's very important for everybody, if you're a general dentist, um, even if you're a specialist, to make sure that you're not isolating yourself, making sure that you're in a study group or you have mentors, people you can reach out to, because guess what? You're not going to know the answer to everything. Right. And you will find a case that's going to stump you. And if you have some people that you feel safe talking to, um, it's just so much better. And I have tons of people on speed dial. I, I reached out to an endodontist and an oral surgeon last night about one of my maxillectomy patients because I was like, what do we need to do for this patient? I'm not afraid to ask. Good. That, now, that's some good advice. That's some good advice. And I have all of their cell phone numbers. <laughs> right. And you, might, and you might have to get their Instagram messaging uh, number too, right? Yes, I, I, you know, I'm pretty. When I work with uh, doctors, um, I, I really do need to be able to talk to them. I understand the front desk, but if we have a case, it's usually, you know, one of the surgeons. Whenever I come to his office, he's like, "Oh my gosh, what are we doing today?" Because every time my patient comes in. It's, it's, it's always a little bit more special. So I need to have that one-on-one -on -one being able to talk to you. Um, for the most part, I, can, I usually work with implant coordinators at other offices to get things set up. But if I need to talk about the case, I need to talk to the, you know, the surgeons or the orthodontist that I'm working with or the endodontist to make sure we're all on the same page. Right. So making sure you not just send you know, something through the front office. Make sure you talk to each other. That's right. Communication. Communication is so important. So important. So mm -hmm. important. Hey, before we finish up, um, how, what's the best way for people to contact you if they're thinking about a career as a prosthodontist or they're thinking about opening up their own office like you've done uh, or just want some guidance as to applying to pros or even other segments of pros? Uh, like you did with being having more of a medical focus as a maxillofacial prosthodontist. What's the best way for people to get in contact and follow you? Um, you can email me at Dr. Eva Bold, D-R-E-V-A-B-O-L-D, at gmail.com. Or, and or you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Houston Pros, P-H-O-U-S-T-O-N, 
P-R-O-S-T-H. And I try to uh, show cases that are a little bit different, try to let you know the general public know about certain things about um, their health. And I also try to give you know dental news every now and then. So I try to kind of change it up. Uh, but you can always follow me on any of those social media and you can reach out to me, email, Instagram, Facebook, you can find me. <laughs> well, we know we're definitely going to find you at the Hitman because I think we, you had a, that was a good meeting for you, right? Yes, I will be back again next year. That'll be good. Hey, Doc, thank you so much. I'm glad we're able to, um, to get, uh, have the time to set aside to kind of talk more about what you do and your journey. And so good to hear. Um, stories like yourself, uh, stories that, you know, stories that you've shared with us. It's so good to hear so other people can, can relate to it or point in that direction as well. So thank you so much. No problem. And if you guys uh, have problems, but you need some help in getting those answers, shoot me an email right here at newdentistcoach at gmail.com, newdentistcoach at gmail.com, and we'll get the answers for you. Also, be sure to check out the next video right over here, all right? And subscribe to the YouTube channel, Dr. Darwin Speaks, as it pops up. Hey, doctor, thank you so much, Dr. Eva. No problem. Take care.